Welcome to the Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. I'd like to welcome you back to the Dealmaker podcast. I'm Oren Claff, author of Pitch Anything. And I have a very interesting guest today, Phil Jones, who wrote a book that really tells you exactly what to say in those tough situations where what you want to happen and what is likely going to happen seem like they might not be the same thing. You want to get a buyer, you want to get an investor, you want to do whatever it is you want to do. You're telling somebody something and it feels like it's not going your way. What should you do? Phil Jones will step in and make it happen for you. Hey, Phil, welcome to the show. Good to have you here today. Hey, Oren, delight to be here. Thanks for having me on board. Good, good. Nice fake British accent. Uh, I really know you're <laughs> yeah, I wish it was fake. It would be easier sometimes. But yeah, I just, uh, I was born with this one. I wasn't given it any other way. No problem. I've read that, and it's also been my experience that accents solidify around the age of 12 or 13. So literally you can grow up in England, move to Minnesota for one year, you know, your dad's a sabbatical at university and you get a Minnesota accent for the rest of your life, even if you move back to Scotland. So, so that means that if you're going to move to Minnesota at any point in your life, just be very precise about the timing of it, that it doesn't trip you up. Is that, is that, is that the advice here? That is also, have you seen this, uh, this um, fake accent disease? So you have people wake up in Wisconsin and they speak it with a French accent. Are you familiar with this? It's, this one must it's a medical lost. condition. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. It's called um, fake accent or foreign accent condition. And I had, Les, can you see if you can find that? It's called this like, foreign like the, accent. Perfect, the perfect place to go with this show. I think that's why everybody dialed in to listen to us today, right? Is to, to learn about this fake accent thing. It is. Well, um, that's a good point. So I think you're saying exactly the right thing. Well, well, tell me a little bit about the world today as you see it. Like, why do people need to know exactly what to say in different situations? I feel like when, when there was less internet, when things were moving a little bit slower, like it was pretty obvious what your choices were and what to say. And the, ba the barrier or the, the, the bar was much lower for not having to say the perfect thing at exactly the perfect time. Why, why do we need to know exactly what to say in clutch situations? I, I don't think now is a great deal different to how it's always been. I think there are two types of, of people in this world, particularly in a sales environment. There are those that count their conversations and then there are those that make more of their conversations count, right? Like, like there are those two types of people very, very much. And what's now happening in the world that we live in is conversations are higher stakes. Like if you get somebody into a Zoom call, a phone call, into a face-to-face -face meeting, they had to give up more of their attention to be in that discussion than they maybe had to do three, four, five years ago. So naturally, that conversation is a little bit more higher stakes. More than that, though, as well, is, is people have choice. 
People have more choice than they've ever had. They have more transparency than they ever have. They're being pulled in more directions more than they ever have been at any other period of time in their life. So making those moments count is more critical than it ever has been at any other point in time. And when you don't have the chance to woo somebody with maybe a board game ticket or a chance to be able to take them to their favorite restaurant, getting the words right at the right time give you the ability to control a conversation, show that you care, lead something towards a predetermined action with more grace than, than winning business, maybe using some of those old fashioned, more sort of leveraged ways. Well, how, how do you, let me tell you how I got in this world of having to be incredibly choosy about the things you say in high stakes situations in which the outcomes are, are really binary. It can either go your way or not your way. I worked in, uh oh, something's happening. But uh, anyway, I, I, I worked in uh, the field of finance in which we would prepare a deal and we might take, oh, I don't know, 15 or 25 meetings on a $40 million deal. And that was it. So it wasn't like you had, you know, many, many uh, bites at the apple. And so every single one of those 25 meetings uh, of that, 10 of them had to yield $20 million. And if you got to the end of the rope there, your deal was done. Right. And so every single meeting was orchestrated minute by minute, word by word. We knew exactly if somebody said what it meant, how to um, react to it. So for example, uh, you know, as nuanced as if somebody would say, gotcha, we just learned over time that gotcha meant uh, I'm confirming what you're saying, but I'm not resonating with it. And so we would have a list of words. And if we heard the word gotcha, we knew we had to back up, circle back around and not move forward because the stakes were so high. I bet if we talked to a paper salesman, you know, nothing wrong with that, uh, you know, industry, but almost every company needs paper of some sort for the copier, for the printers. And, and he said, what does the word gotcha mean to you? And he would say, you know, nothing. Because he has so many bites of the apple. So I'm like, when you have one bite of the apple, uh, then, then, you know, exactly what to say becomes incredibly important. And so I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know, Liz, is that our side? Is that Phil's side? Yeah, I'm getting some uh, static and echo and noise and stuff. But anyway, let's, uh, so... So how did you, so that's how I got it. So we need to find $20 million. Where do yep. you find $20 million? Um, well, you know, just a very specific group of people could cough up that much money uh, for that kind of deal. And and so really had to think about how do you open, what's the beginning, what's the middle, and what's the end? Uh, and then what's the call to action? And every word really matters. How did you get into this space? I've been in business since I was 14 years of age. I started knocking on the doors of my neighbors, started asking them politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. Some said yes, some said no. Most just asked me how much I charged, which I realized pretty quickly meant they were remarkably interested. And I did okay with that little business as a kid, so much so that- well, how, much, how much do you charge? How much did you charge? At the time, I started at three pound a car. I went to 350, I went to 450, I went to five, I went to 650. We, we pushed a number of times. But it was, um, yeah, I did okay with that little business. At 15, I was making more money than my school teachers. I was employing the kids in the year below. We were grafting at quite a significant level. And um, I built a number of entrepreneurial businesses through my teens. Then in my late teens, early 20s, took a number of senior sales leadership roles within big retail organizations within the UK. 
Now, being a young, hungry 20-something, leading teams of 30, 40, 50-somethings to be able to achieve bigger sales results is um, harder than I thought it might have been at the time. Because you learn that you have to earn respect. And one of the things that always fascinated me is the difference between those that did good and those that really crushed it. Well, the ones that were really crushing it is they had put time into their word choices. They had taken the time to be able to understand that, well, actually, I know everything they might say to me. So wouldn't it make sense that I put the work into the conversations before the work so I'm ready to be able to avoid, overcome, maneuver conversation from that given point? And this fascinated me, right? It wasn't just hard work, product knowledge, determination, all the other ingredients we know to be so important. Word choices really, really mattered. What it also did is it gave people confidence in all of the different variety of scenarios that they could run into. One of those retail environments I was involved in significantly was the largest independent furniture retail business. So you're talking about three, four, five thousand pound transactions, but you're talking about hundreds or thousands of them every single day. So what you do is you get reps real quick. And what I would do is in order to coach and train and develop my teams is I'd never give any advice. I'd give the advice that I was borrowing from what I was witnessing from somebody else's excellence. So I crowdsource brilliance in a short period of time into that given environment. Then what's happened through other careers that I've taken on board, plus my consulting, training, speaking business that started well now nearly 15 years ago, I've worked in over 800 different industries. Yet still, I found the one commonality between those that do good and those that crush it is the ones that crush it know exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. They take the time to know it's the person who's asking the questions that's in control of the conversations. They so so give, a, give, an of example of, give me an example of a situation where the wrong thing to say is very easy and obvious. I mean, in, how do you in, want to shoot for? Um, let me yeah. give you a, a classic. I mean, it doesn't exist inside the book, but it's been existing over the last 20, 24 months in this pandemic times, is people are reaching out to their clients saying things like, I was just reaching out. Well, there's a back foot to be able to start with. Following that terrible sequence of words with, well, I was checking in to see how you're doing. Following that up with, um, I was wondering, how can I help? So what they've done is I was just reaching out, which says it wasn't important. It says I was checking in, which is what nobody ever wants to happen on them, that then throws the onus onto the other person that says, how can I help abdicating all of the responsibility of help onto the person that you're supposedly looking to help? So I see that happen week in, week out, like within organizations across the board, thinking that they're caring about their clients, thinking that they're farming for new business opportunities. But really, they are presenting themselves as a pain in the butt. Yeah. And I think, uh, so, so I agree, you know, if you say, if you send out an email, just checking in from our organization, you're, I would just say in a lot of trouble. Uh, that's right. a, that's an HR escalation immediately, but I think more, uh, around, around here, we try and eradicate like, please and thank you. And sorry. So I think those are you know, fundamentally words that are, it's too, we talk about here. It's too hard to choose when to say, sorry. And then we, so we end up saying it to cover everything. Uh, and so we try and ban the word, sorry, not that we're not sorry. We're, the challenge we're not, is you know, we make mistakes all the time. Yeah. And uh, I sorry. think yeah. is, I wouldn't personally look to eradicate those words. I would understand that it can only be used when the correct level of sincerity is applied alongside them. I think they're thrown away like they lose change. Yeah, right. actually exactly. they hold immense power. And when they're used without understanding the power they could be used is, is they brush straight off, straight off people and they appear to be derogatory. They, they appear to be, um, 
almost table stakes that without the insertion of true sincerity, they appear insincere. That's that's why I take them out of our interactions because they're insincere. They don't carry any weight to it. And you're sorry, sorry, sorry. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Please, please, please. Uh, and uh, but, but more importantly, I think you dig in, you know, what if you find yourself in a situation in which you're doing a, uh, a presentation to a client, right? And the dog starts barking, you know, in the background and uh, you can't figure out your Zoom and the slide won't play, right? Where do you go for the right words to say in these common but unthought of situations? Because I do think that is a sales situation, right? How you cover your butt on that tells people a lot about you, right? Because, you know, what are your choices to have words? Your choices say nothing. Uh, what I hear people say is, oh, pandemic, work from home. You know how it is. No, I don't know how it is, motherfucker, right? You know why I don't know how it is? Because I have an office and I came in and, I'm, you know, we, we prepared for this. And if I have a dog, which I don't, you know, I get the dog outside, but I go places where I have to do presentations from and they have a dog and I go, yeah. hey, this dog needs to, you know, go. So can I put him in the kennel? What can I do? Can I buy him some food? But this dog can't be barking on my presentation or I go get a wee work. So, no, I don't know how it is where the dog is barking. Now, kids, I understand. But when the kid comes by, right? Uh, anyway, I have a strategy for kids. But when you get in those situations in, in the Phil Jones world, like I feel like you have to say something. What grab bag of you know exactly what to say can you reach for? Uh, I'd go back in the process a little. If you're entering into a conversation that is via Zoom, via WebEx meeting, via Microsoft Teams, then more often than not, particularly if you're meeting a stranger or somebody that doesn't know you well, is you're in your home environment or somewhere else and they're in their home environment and or somewhere else. So what have we done? We, we, this is now not a boardroom discussion. This has a different level of intimacy to it. I choose the word different on purpose there. And I think it's our ability to be able to insert context to this ahead of time. Yeah. For you to be able to say early on in the conversation, great to be able to catch you today. Sorry that we can't be in, per in person. Actually, you're right now. You're in my home. I have two and a half year old twins that happen to live next door in the in the unit across the hallway. And I am here in New York City. So if you hear any background noise right now, I promise you that's the sound of the city. It's not anything that's crazy going down. Like if I can put that set up at the very front end of the context, then guess what happens? They say, you know what? Um, I'm actually in a hotel room right now. I've been on the road, finally being able to get out. Um, so yeah, I'm joining you from here. I hope the Wi-Fi stays stable. Yeah. What you yeah. Do so is this, this is how I know Phil has been in all these sales situations because this is, you know, like it, you can't tell a new salesperson to do this. They won't instinctively do it. Only people who've been through many, 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 you know, hundreds of not thousands of sales situations I find are willing to kill monsters while they're small monsters. Everybody's right. so afraid of these monsters, right? And then eventually they get so big, they go, I, I have to, you know, this objection or this problem or this reason or this price or this reason why this deal can't go through or the screaming kid and the barking dog are so overwhelming. I now have to deal with it for, for us. Like 101 principles is getting ahead of this stuff. Yeah. Well, and people so often think that success in selling is about embellishing the option of yes. Let me explain to you why my version of yes is so goddamn brilliant that you need to choose my yes over any of the other yeses that you could have, right? Like that's where they come from, raining features and benefits, vomiting all over somebody about the different levels of brilliance that could exist. Yet in my world, what selling is, is quite often destroying the option of no. 
So through intelligent questions, I could take anything that could harm me, harm me or cause me discomfort, and I can I, I can steal it out of their back pocket before they've even thought about utilizing it for me. So if I'm concerned that my environment is going to be a disadvantage, I make it an advantage at the front end by letting them know that I'm making time for them in an environment that is less than perfect. So what has that done is it's, it's up the stakes a little and it's increased the intimacy, which increases the trust. Similarly, so every objection that you face in your business or that you're fearful of, of, of um, receiving, if you insert the right intelligence alongside curiosity, you can get them to be able to admit to you that they're not going to tell you the excuse that they might tell you later on in the conversation. So let, let's drop that into like the real world of, you know, if I give you a couple industries like, you know, SaaS software, logistics, uh, SaaS software, logistics, and, uh, uh, travel booking. Okay. You know, travel agent. Let's right? take a SaaS software solution. SaaS software. Okay, great. Is you are making outreach towards individuals, looking to be able to tell them that your new shiny new widget is going to help them do things faster, quicker, with more levels of sustainability, provide greater levels of insight, be able to do it for less, yada, yada, yada. But more often than not, if you have a great solution, at best, it overlaps an existing solution. Chances are it comes head to head with an existing solution. So you're asking somebody to leave their wife, leave their husband, leave their spouse, right? Like that's what you're asking them to do in some way or have to, which again is probably not a good idea. That knowledge going in means that what you've got to get them to do before they choose you, they've got to choose to leave the other. And that's what people often miss. Before they get to choose you, they've got to choose to leave the other. How do you do that? You hit it head on. You just build a tiny little question tree. Question tree would, would run something like, so what three things do you love best about working with blank? See, if I ask somebody, what three things do you like best about working with blank? Like they're, they're pretty easy to come forward. Here's what I get though, is experience tells me that if I ask somebody what three things they like best about something, I get actually a hierarchical order. The first thing they tell me is the thing that they thought of first. It's like a free pass. Like what's the first thing I thought of? Well, well, I've known them forever. Okay, cool. Well, let, let, let's do it. Like I use Zoom, right? So sell okay. me an alternative to Zoom. You know, so let's, let's go through this. Yeah. So what three, what three things do you like best about working with Zoom? uh when i go to turn it on it's on like a hundred a hundred percent uptime like i've never gone to zoom and they're like zoom you know the microsoft circle or the blue window of doom or facebook is loading it's on every single time i've ever used it use it so that's one thing i like uh the second thing i like is that uh, it lets me admit people. So I feel like confident of who, you know, who is on that call. Cause I've admitted them and I'm not getting call bombed. I mean, we deal with a lot of like corporate secrets and people are revealing us information and just, just to have that information leak out could ruin our business. And I guess the third thing I like about zoom is that I just, I, you know, I tell people, Hey, let's do a zoom call and they're not going well what is that do i download it as an app they're like yeah sure fucking zoom call like it's ubiquitous you know it's like saying let's do a phone call so uh though you know it, it it has its ups and downs but those are the three things i guess for me that i like okay cool cool and so you're looking at you like the reliability of it you like the fact that you have control and security aspirations in place and you like the expectation towards other people is they know what they're getting into when you ask for a zoom meeting yeah. Now, if there was one thing you could change about it, what would the one thing be? Uh, the one thing I would change about Zoom 
is being able to see that goddamn person that I'm talking to, right? So if you have more than five people on the call, somebody's talking and, you know, they're either small because they're on my device or if it's on mobile, I don't know who's talking. I can't see them talking. And it's just, you know, for me, the human experience of, of, of communication is, is so important to me, you know, in, in many, many different ways. Uh, and, and so if I can't see who's talking and they can't, I feel like they can't see me, it's incredibly frustrating. I can't form whole ideas. And all I can do is sort of get angry and make demands. But if I can, I can negotiate, if I can see the other person, I can make concessions, I can be empathetic, and I can be compassionate about their situation. If I can see them, if I can't see them, then I'm just going to put them in the meat grinder. Nice. Okay. Now, help me understand this as well. Is, is you said one of the things that you liked about Zoom was the familiarity and that other people are aware of it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where that familiarity worked against you? because maybe people didn't see the meeting as serious as it was because it was just a Zoom call and that you found it. That you well, it's funny. Right. We were just talking about with the customer last night and we said, let's Zoom. And we go, yeah, that's the that's the McDonald's of meetings. Right. You know, it, it's the equivalent of saying, hey, meet me at McDonald's and let's, you know, review your contract. So, so say for argument's sake that if I could show you a platform that might be useful for, for some of your meetings that gave you a heightened level of security that gave you the consistency that you would almost always see the other person when they were talking, still had the same levels of security, reliability, never had any downtime, but it just raised the stakes for the other person and gave you a tool in your arsenal that for your reporting meetings, you could reach for something other than Zoom. Would that be something that you might be open to? Uh, yeah, I'd definitely be open to it. So you see how we danced into that one. These simple questions. Yeah. What three things do you like best? What's one thing that you would change? No, I also knew that the one thing that you said there that potentially is difficult to navigate against Zoom is them saying about like the, you know, I want to see their faces. Like, like I'm like, oh, like, I got a few things here. Is I have to hurt Zoom a little bit more to create another angle, which was why I said, help me understand. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where and what am I doing? I'm asking a 50-50 question that's given me 95-5 in my favor. I'm collecting a piece of evidence that said that Zoom isn't always right. I like Zoom, but it isn't always my preferred choice. There could be an avenue. And what people try to do is they try to move people from a, from a no to a yes. Whereas what you first need to get them to is a maybe. Like we well, need to I think the, 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 there is a chance here. Let's explore the possibilities. And now we've got fair game. So if I had to compare this to something that I do intuitively, I try, you know, you can't tell a mom her baby's ugly. Nope. And I would like, tell me if you agree with this. You know, we get people up here, uh, you know, this, this is, I don't know if you could still see me, but I walk up, oh, we don't have the lighting, but this is a stage. We put people on the stage here. And the first thing they say is, oh, maybe if I go over by this light, if I go over by this light, you can see me better light. But but uh, the first thing they'll say is we're different. And I think my reaction is when somebody says we're different, we're changing the world uh, and we're different, they are uh, doing exactly what you're talking about. They're asking you immediately to say the thing you're using or the thing that you're used to uh, is inadequate um, because we're different. Right. And differentiation seems to be the main point that yep. junior salespeople will use as a nose in to describe a deal, to describe a product, to describe a service and everything like that. Why? 
why is it so bad in your mind to say to lead with we're different? It's that bad that you used to. You, it, it's so bad you haven't. You just accept it as bad. You haven't thought about why it's bad. Well, the space you're looking to play in is the gray space. If you are looking to be able to influence somebody in a complex conversation, is you've got to get them to the area of possibility that different is worth it. So if you lead with different, they'll say, well, different is boring. Everybody's got differences, et cetera. And what ends up happening is you double down, right? Is, is so, um, you know, boys are better than girls, but girls are different to boys. Where do we get to? We get to nowhere. We just put ourselves in this spiraling argument that gets us to the exact same place that yes, there are things are different. Nobody wants different, people want better. People don't want better, they want the results of better. They don't want the results of better, they want the results of better for them. Like that's what they're into. And if you lead with we're different, who's looking to be the hero of the story? We're like, whoopee for you. I'm really pleased that you're different, but I don't give two hoots about your differences unless you've taken the time to be able to translate that to how that makes my life easier, more successful, uh, in some way can be translated to currency quickly. The trouble is you can't translate it to currency quickly in whatever currency means to the person you're talking to. So you created friction by leading with different. And what you did is you so, created an argument as opposed to getting to be sat at the same table. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, trying to think authentically uh, the way the process that I would use to convert somebody from the old way of doing things to the new way. I like the way you did it. It's a little bit different. I think from what I'm used to, what I try and do is reframe their, it, the, whatever they're using or their solution as good, great, valid, amazing, um, some things I really like about it, right? Not to put them off and everything, but I'm trying to like authentically think about some things that I like about it. And then the reframe is, uh, but, you know, things have changed quite a bit today. Right. And it's kind of the... You know, sometimes the old school, it was right for then, but it isn't necessarily right for now. Right. And that's, that's yeah, the old school ways of doing it, you know, are sometimes the best, but you can get into situations where that are really high stakes and you have to get it done. And sometimes, you know, you can't take your client to McDonald's and you need the one that really works. So I think, uh, you know, and it's up to you to decide, but I'll tell you a little bit about the one that we have that works in the situations that matter what, what you're looking for actually though is is even a touch more scientific than that is you're looking to create a moment inside the other person's mind that isn't them saying you're right you're looking to create a moment inside the other person's mind that says that's right yeah if we use the same zoom example is we can say you know things were right at the time and times have changed etc and they're saying yeah you're right like that's, that that is right that is right that is right Yet the reality is that in certain circumstances, the platform of Zoom is, is just not high rent enough. It just isn't necessary. You see, when you meet somebody on Zoom, then you're often meeting them in their world. And sometimes for conversations that really matter, you need people to meet them in your world which means that you need to bring them into a unique environment that you are in complete control of. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, I think, and I, hopefully we're saying the same thing. Like what I go for is to raise the stakes. Correct. Right. That's when my, the stakes go up, 
when the stakes go up to where where you know they really affect you, then then you really have to think about what is right, what is going to make this situation. And I'll explain the raising the stakes point you're making really simple using a, an analogy that you used earlier on. You said that you cannot tell a mother or father that their baby's ugly. You can't. You can say, I know that your baby's beautiful, but answer me this. If like the whole state held a beauty pageant, where do you think they'd come in the competition in their age range? Yeah. Yeah. My no. baby, my baby, unfortunately, would come in um, first, but he's unusual. Uh, you know, it's just a we, we were out to dinner. And there was a couple next to us. We were having sushi. The couple next to us, and they look over, and they're, they, um, you know, they were obviously very much in love. We already had a baby, and uh, the baby was there, and they were cooing our baby Asher a little bit. Hey, Liz, can you put up a, a shot of uh, anything of Asher there? Anyway, just see if you can find it. You can see what I'm talking about. So they look over, and they go, "Oh my God!" They're, and he's talking to them. He's just two, and and I said, "Hey, look, it looks like you're nice young people, and you're in love." You might be thinking about getting married and having a baby. I just want to let you know, this is not the baby you're going to get. Like, this is a magical baby. Yeah. that Like, you could get a crappy, more ugly. You know, my wife gets extremely upset when I say this. But I'm just, I just want you, this is false advertising. This baby, you might, oh, there. Yeah. This baby, you might not get. There he is. Uh, what else we have? What else we have? Uh, oh, yeah, hair down. Um, go, go down to slide eight. There we go. There's my baby. Wow. I mean, he was two. He was two when that situation happened. But you might not get this incredibly smart, handsome, articulate, talented. But do you, do you have any kids, Phil? By the way, oh, how many kids do you have? Four. Four. Jesus Christ! How old are they? A fourteen-year-old, a twelve-year-old, and identical two and a half-year-old twins. Oh bullshit! You don't have a fourteen-year-old. You're like twenty-six years old. Just the good ice creams and the healthy diet, my friend. Yeah. What uh, What do those kids do? What do those kids? Oh, here we go. Here we go. All night. I don't. I was hoping you didn't have any kids, so this didn't turn into like a kid comparison contest. But hold on a second. So, so you look up here, and I look at this, and I go, "Hey, look, this. You're not gonna get this. You're gonna get some mixture of whatever it is that you know you guys are concocting. This is not guaranteed. This is false advertising. You might not get this baby." Uh, so yeah, you definitely can't tell some people their baby is ugly because then they will, you know, or or challenge them uh, on the notion. You can ask them that... to consider the stage, right? That's what you can ask them to consider is if they have something that is brilliant for something, you can make the something bigger and then get them to give consideration to be how do they line up within that given environment. And, um, you know, I've done things as well within the world of real estate. People will say things like, I'm really happy with my existing broker. I'm like on a scale of yeah. one to 10, with 10 being like you love them more than your spouse and one being that you don't think so highly of them. You know, where do you put them on that sliding scale? Are they like a six, a seven or eight? Like how much are you in love with these people? And they're like, well, I, so, I like, I like six. So I'm creating movement in that question to say that there's some play space here. Here's a question I have for you, uh, and we use that a lot. Like, you know, hey, on a scale of one to ten, so so there's two things, the three things I want to cover with you in the time we have. Uh, I feel like, in some ways, that is a very established sales repertoire, and it has a reputation. Like, I think it's very useful in the way you're doing it because you're authentically plumbing for where they are 
on a scale, but I feel like, hey, on a scale of one to five, how interested are you, uh, you know, in this car has been done so many times that people maybe maybe detect that as a sales mechanism. Do you have any sense that there are like, you know, patois or patterns of sales language that that let people know they're in a in a in a sales cycle? Yeah, yeah the, the, this is easy is when the question is being asked that makes the other person feel like you think they're an idiot. And if you treat somebody like an idiot, they will realize that you are one um, and they will leave. So the fuel for these questions, it's not like what's the question to ask, it's understand that the question needs to be fueled with curiosity, which means you have to genuinely care about the answer. Sometimes you need a softening preface for things like this. And a beautiful softening preface is, is, is the words help me understand. So help me understand puts you into a state of curiosity. Even in a used car environment, right? It could be the cheesiest, sleaziest environment ever. It's like, like you know, help me understand this is, is, you know, we're looking at these two different cars. And I know that you're looking at another guy down the street. And I know that you're thinking about leasing something brand new. Like, like where are you steering towards right now? Help me understand that. Like you so, can ask that with integrity. You can ask that just because you're curious or you can say on a scale of one to five, how ready are you to write me a check? And you sound like an absolute moron. Right. How about this? Press hard, Mr. Jones. Fifth copy is yours. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and we wonder why people um, in these industries have a, have a lazy reputa reputation. And, and we live in a world right now where, there is a tail to every transaction and yeah. by a tail, I mean like it has to still be true tomorrow and three months and nine months and three years. And people still want to play a game like winning the day is winning the game, but winning the day is losing the game. Yeah. I, I, I like this. I like this approach a lot when you're saying maybe you can fix something I do or give a third party perspective on it. Instead of saying, help me understand. I say, I'm trying to figure out. Are these equivalent? Am I hurting myself with that? Um, you're still curious with I'm trying to figure out. But what you're trying to do with that preface statement is you're trying to play dumb even though you're not. And what you're doing is is you're you're behaving like an idiot. I'm blowing this up for the purpose of an exercise. I know you're but, but you know, I'm trying to figure out is actually what you're thinking here. But to try and figure out, the question is, help me understand. And too many people ask the question they think as opposed to the question that's going to get them the answer they need. So, so help me understand gets you the answer to I'm trying to figure out. So let's get in a, a real world scenario that I think everybody faces, which is in line with what we're talking about. And that is a situation in which somebody gives you, you know, a buyer gives you a variable or a piece of data or a key assumption or something that is, you know, is not true. Okay. You know, is something that can't work. Right. So I would think like, here, here's a perfect example. Uh, you know, if we're selling somebody, um, a, uh, you know, an investment in a piece of real estate, right. Okay. And there's a multifamily six cap, Southern California, well-located inland. And they go, Hey, we're seeing stuff. You know, we're seeing equivalent property all the time at an eight and a half cap. It's just okay. a cap is just a, right. And we, and I know absolutely, I mean, we're in that business. We see, I wouldn't say everything, but we definitively know 
the risk to reward ratio and what cap rates are. Uh, and so for me, uh, you know, that is something that you authentically need to explore and challenge right away. What are the exact words to say in your mind when you know what they're telling you is manipulative and, and, and either inaccurate or not true? Okay. The, the, the first thing, and everybody listening really right now needs to write this down. It's a one-word question. It's a one-word question. Hold on a second. Liz, get me a pen because I do this terribly. You're not going to need I'm a pen. I'm going to write you this down myself. And if I don't I can just write it this down. to the point you're going to want to tattoo it, then I didn't Thank deliver you. the point well enough. Um, somebody says something to you that is obnoxious or just straight up wrong, then you have to respond with curiosity. And the one word question that you can always respond with is the word, really? So they so, say that I've been seeing these that are down the street, et cetera, going for 8.5 times cap, et cetera. You go, really? And leave as long a pause as, as feels necessary here. And you watch what happens. They're like, well, well, I wouldn't say I've seen them so much. I've just heard that, that people have got those kind of deals over the last four or five years. Okay, so you haven't seen anything recently. Oh, no, no, no nothing recently. Oh, that's interesting. What is the best that you've seen recently? Well, um, well, well, not much really. Not, not much that I've seen really. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a baseline kind of cap rate that you're looking at that would be the kind of thing that you would be looking to move on, or are you trying to wait for things to turn back to 2008? Yeah, quite beautiful. Quite beautiful. That's exactly not what I would have done in that situation. The point is, somebody throws you a punch, and what you want to do is that, and, and then just smile back at them. Because particularly if people are giving you like nonsense. So take it to the real estate brokerage world or the real estate agent world, right? Somebody says, you know, I've got a guy down the street that's looking to do, you know, happy to be able to sell our home for two and a half percent as a commission. You say, really? So I guess in my world, I, you know, I would come across much more, you know, I, I would raise the stakes when people do that in a sense. And I love the way you did it. I guess my intuition is a little bit different uh, and, and could be, you know, more nuanced in how you apply it. But I, you know, I would say to like, Hey, you're, lo you're losing me here. Like I, I can't square this circle. Can't figure out how you got there. What, you know, uh, what time machine, you know, you had jumped back into, Hey, what's happening back there in 2008. Could you give me, um, can you give me a refresh? It was so long ago. I'm trying, I can't even remember who won the Super Bowl. You know, since you're living back there, could you let me know World Series, Super Bowl? I, fuck, I can't even remember who was president. But um, it's wonderful. Maybe we should get together and patent this fucking time machine that you have. But this one games in that, and you can't yeah. you can't teach that. That's an yeah. innate, innate like confidence, charismatic play that you can bring. And what you're really doing is you're doing an elongated version of really. You're saying yeah. don't be an idiot. I'm giving people an olive branch to realize they were being an idiot. All right. Well, we took a vote here and we decided to vote on whether we liked my way of doing it better or your way. And the results were. <laughs> what happened? Something happened over there? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so excellent. A uh, couple, two more concepts I want to cover with you. And I think one is exactly on what you, you just talked about is sort of the experience and nuance in the words. Like, I feel like I can open a presentation that I've done a hundred times. Ladies and gentlemen, 
the crux of the biscuit is the apostrophe. And it doesn't make sense, but just the, the intent of my communication will vibe from my DNA and somehow transmogrified, the audience will understand where I'm going. Right now I can't continue to speak in Greek and Latin like that, but, but at some point the intent of the words is actually reduces the importance on the word. Have you seen this in your career where people can actually say the wrong thing with the right intent, with the right curiosity, with the right motivation, saying sort of the wrong thing, but it comes across as um, what they're really trying to say. So, so can you get so good at this that the words start to reduce in importance in your mind? So I wrote a book called Exactly What to Say to help people find confidence in conversation. The irony is that I could have picked 300 different sequences of words and taught the same 23 principles. I just used the yeah. example to create the principle as opposed to the principle to then create the example, right? That was on purpose. Is what you're talking about though, is that when your cadence appears a certain way, then you can lead a conversation. What you're also yeah. talking about is the fact that if you can create enough curiosity whilst being delivering it with certainty, then you'll get people to be, yeah, that's right. And if they're not, that's right. They're like, tell me some more. Like that's the worst case that happens is that they feel like they want to come for the ride. And that is leadership. As salespeople, we're looking to be able to lead people. The most dangerous place that almost the whole of the world lives in is show me where to go. Take me on the dance floors, teach me to dance, right? Like that's what people are looking for. People love to be led. So if what you can do is direct language towards people that says, look this way, go this way, how about now? More often than not, people are happy to come with that. What also yeah. needs to happen is that we smell fear as human beings like crazy. So if at any given point that you get challenged in that high level cadence of speech, that what you're doing is bringing people towards something with so much confidence in your conversation, you get challenged and you are weakened from that challenge and you appear to be on the back foot, you go from a nine out of 10 credible to a 0.9 out of 10 credible in a moment. Because all of a sudden they lose trust in leadership. They're like, oh, I just put so much confidence in you that you knew where we were going and I'm comfortable with and you just broke it in a nanosecond. How do you measure against that is don't get into fights. So when somebody throws a challenge at you, you remember that the person that's in control of the conversation is the one who's asking the questions. Give yourself permission to take a beat. Somebody throws you a cheap shot. You say, that's interesting. What made you think of that? Let them insert more context. When somebody throws you a punch, throws you a curveball, you said, wow, I've never seen it that way before. Where are you getting that point of view from? And what you do is you're not deflecting you're adding context. And more often than not, people insert context, they lose credibility from their side of things. Which sure. in the same exchange, your confidence then just turns back up again. You're like, oh, four seconds ago, I feared I wasn't the smartest person in control of this conversation. Then boom, they just proved to me they don't know so much. And yeah. It is, is simple techniques in controlling questions we used to help me understand earlier on, but we can also use, well, what do you know about? So what do you know about how the real estate market's changed in the last six months in this specific location? What do you know about the differences of working with a professional speaker as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe a motivational speaker? What do you know about the differences? 
What do you understand about the differences of working with a professional training organization versus an independent trainer? You see how what happens is we've inserted curiosity. We've said that there are perhaps levels. What we've got the other person to say is not enough. I don't know enough. For you to say, would it help if? Would it help if I walked you through some of the key differences so you could make a more informed decision? Watch everybody say yes to that. Yeah. And of course, if they say no, then you say, hey, it sounds, I mean, so, so I could give you 19 ways if they said no to keep them in and even yep. keep it tracking. But on something you said earlier, in terms of long tail, I can, like, I can get that guy. This is the problem. When you get to Phil's level of ability, I feel like you can close deals that you shouldn't be in. You can make sales that you shouldn't have. You can get money that you don't want. And so if somebody says, if I said, you know, in that same way, um, you know, as you said, and they said, no, I go, uh, I know I'm, I feel like I'm experienced enough to say, great, I'm out. Yeah. But, but if this was a challenge and there's a million dollars to win at the other end, I'll get that guy, you know, if you have money, we'll take it. That's our job. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get you done. We're just so experienced, but on the long tail, we'll regret it. So if you give somebody an authentic choice, I feel like yes or no, and they take the no, uh, let them have it in yep. today's world. Now, if you go back into, um, you know, 1994, you know, when your dad was selling stuff, then you have to keep working it because you didn't have a lead architecture and a drip system and ability to buy leads and, and a tech stack, which you can get another lead, you know, in another 10 seconds. In those days you had to work them. To give credit to some of those folks back in the day, they didn't know what they were selling wasn't true. They didn't know. And, and the transparency from past customers didn't exist. Yeah. The turn through people in sales roles wasn't good. The sales reps were sold with just the same level of naivety as what then the future customers were. It was a different world. Yet the transparency that exists today, like I don't believe that, that people want to con people. I might be wrong. I just don't believe that it's true that people want to win via stealing. I think people want to win in a way that two plus two equals five. That's where I think most people are coming from. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't live in a world where greed is a, is a high driver of commodity and the ego will look to win the day regardless of the game. But in my experience, there are more people that want to win with integrity that still feel good about it a decade on than those that wanted to get up on the stage and hold the big check and then wonder why they're then like, like a gas pump attendant in three years' time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Phil, these are the leads from yesterday. Uh, when you get some of these closed, you can get some new ones. So, yes. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I want to talk about closing here in a minute, but uh, the I I think knowing that you, you've got a 14-year-old and you've got these, and the next youngest one you said was Twelve. six? 12, 12, 14, 12, and then two 14 and 12. 14 and 12. And so when you're thinking about exactly what to say, you know, I have my own kid, like the kids, even when they're two and three and four, listen to you and copy you. And since your head is way inside of exactly what to say in the words and the meaning of words and, and language, how do you think about, uh, you know, how, how, how closely your kids are following what you say. Um, and, and just how do you think about that whole subject of your kids will do what you do? They'll say what you say, they'll behave the way you behave. I think we're talking kids. We're talking about our teams. We're talking about the people that we influence in all areas of our life, 
right, is is we are modeling a behavior for other people to follow everywhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll caveat that with the kids example that you've used is, is I don't always bring this version of myself home. Is this version of myself right now is in a podcast interview with Oren that says, well, these are the stakes. This is the arena. This is the game that we're playing. I can be a different facet of myself in a home life environment that isn't the guy. But, that but aren't you concerned me. that then they'll come into work or listen to a podcast and see a different version of you and feel like no. you're not fully integrated? No, and I, I think we are all different versions of ourselves. This idea of being oneself, I, I don't buy into anyway. I think that it is nice to be able to step into different versions of your own persona. They're all true, and I want my kids to see every version of them, but I want them to understand that they're not all true all the time. And, and having written a book called Exactly What to Say, having sold over a million copies around the world, the number of times I've been asked the question of what is it like to live with a guy that, that wrote exactly what to say, I like, I had to teach myself that sometimes I have to not be that guy. Like I have to be able to step up when asked in an interview to say, how do I do this better? But I don't need to step into the conversation that my wife just had with a, a vendor that was looking to be able to like, I have to let this stuff go. Cause otherwise I'm a horrible person to be around if I'm looking for consistent improvement. Yeah. In my professional life, I'm in the business of consistent improvement. So uh, I got to allow some of that to change um, and I gotta allow people to sometimes fall on their own sword and wait for them to come to me. There's a beautiful saying that, that a friend of mine shared with me years ago and I, and I can't get it out of my head. And the phrase is that the second mouse gets the cheese. And it's a very literal thing, right? Is, is you come in like all guns blazing, you're the mouse in the trap. If you can execute patience, slow play a little, let somebody else trip up and then be there to be able to pick up the pieces that come afterwards from that, then, then the grace that that is then done with builds to, to long-term sustainable results. And I would much rather that one of my children came to me after a fact and said, hey, here's what I did and it, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to do. And here was the outcome. What could I have done differently and what might I do differently next time? I'd rather be there than having them so fearful of opening their mouth because their dad wrote exactly what to say that they say nothing. And the only reason yeah. I've got so good at this, Aaron, is I've got more reps than, um, than anybody, I would say. And not only that, is intelligent and mature reps with the grace to sit down afterwards and say, yeah, but how, yeah, but why, and do the story math on things to say how does stuff add up. And then I've read the psychology behind it. Then I've studied the psychology that sits behind it. Then I've tested this across industries. I've tested it across continents. Like I've played at this stuff with a, a level that is beyond healthy. That yeah. I know this stuff inside out. And I've tested it in care home environments, in political environments, trying to get people to take meds in the environment that they need to, like, like everywhere. So what's the most challenging industry that you've worked in, in terms of, pitch sale present offer a solution get commitment you move forward to another meeting you know and and you know one or two meetings get some kind of commitment to go towards a contract and close what's the most challenging industry that you've worked in? they're all challenging in their own way i'm going to give you the most interesting that i've never shared on a podcast interview it's more than a decade ago um, and I'm outside of any non-disclosure agreements and the company in question is now no longer in business. They've been morphed into other things. Um, 
I got invited to help a tele sales organization that were in the business of keeping gentlemen on the phone for longer because the conversations were on a paper minute basis. So I'll give you that for context. And Bill, you are very, your voice is very uh, charming and wonderful. I like the way you look today. I see you uh, just in your seat and uh, getting, you're not getting nervous, are you? I'm just, um, it's not my proudest of, of industries to have worked in. But when you ask the question, it was that flashback towards that of, of taking a very strategic approach to the questions that could be asked to elongate a conversation on purpose and then to result in a close that was repeat calls back in the other direction and move towards a long-term subscription product. And we got conversion rates that were off the charts good. Like we moved things from like an average call time of a minute and a half to like 28 minutes and turned them to subscription things. It, it was, it was insane. Um, it's amazing. But I, 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 so much diversity in the types of industries that I've worked with and the challenges are real is if we got like four or five minutes, I'll just, just talk through like, how easily this stuff can be done to huge power if if you get the thinking right so in the in the furniture industry back in the day our two biggest profit drivers were one fabric protection on couches more profit in than that than there was on the rest of the transaction and two was um footstools you know like an ottoman that you'd use to put your foot feet on like giant margin in that little piece of furniture so i got invited in to be able to try and help an organization get better at overcoming the objections when introducing these products and services to customers. And I remember saying to them, wouldn't it make more sense that instead of trying to overcome the objections, we could just prevent the objections ever coming? And they said, I've got no idea what you mean. I said, like, instead of trying to put out the fire, how about I steal the matchbox from the guy's pocket before he leaves the house? How about we do that? They still didn't know what I meant. So I said, well, tell me this, what are the most common objections you get when introducing these products or services? And we went around uh, Well, you know, we, we're not that messy in our house. Uh, we're pretty good at cleaning the furniture. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any kids, um, you know, uh, we, we're in a budget, we have a budget. Eat or drink and a version of we're dead careful, right? That was the, the, the shining light. Then the footstool, biggest reason that people didn't want a footstool, not got the room, haven't got the space. Now, having never seen their home, I can't say, well, of course you can find the room. So what I did is I wrote a question tree that dramatically changed conversion rates by a country mile. First question I wrote was this. Apart from yourself, who will be using the furniture? They said, well, me, the wife, the kids, the dog. I said, all right. And a spot of entertaining? Do you know what everybody said to the and a spot of entertaining question? Sure. Like nobody admits to having no friends. So what I do, I put a follow-up question on this again. I say, is it going in your best room or your everyday room? Do I mind what they answer? Best room continually looks its best. Everyday room is going to take a hammering. I say, your last piece of furniture, how long did you keep that for? Now, it didn't matter whether they said three years or five months. I said, I guess you're looking for this to last the same time or longer. What did everybody say? Sure. So they told me they want this to last a long time. It's going in their best room and they're going to use it for entertaining as well as all the family stuff. Am I in good shape to recommend fabric protection? Heck yeah, I'm in good shape. Trouble is, though, I don't like good shape. I prefer a thing called certainty. So I learned another set of magic words. I learned if I preface a reasonable statement with the words, I bet you're a bit like me, I can get just about anybody to agree to just about anything. So I'd say things like, I bet you're a bit like me, get home from work, enjoy nothing more than pouring yourself a nice glass of red. 
Well, yeah, that's me. I bet your household's just like mine. Never do you get the time to sit around the table with a meal properly. More often than not, it's a tray in your lap in front of the box. Do you? That's us. Yeah. Yeah. So they told me they eat and drink. They told me they entertain. They told me they want this to last a long time. They told me it's going in their best room. Now, I still got this footstool to deal with. I'm scared they're going to say they haven't got the room. I say this best room of yours. How big's the room? They tell me three by five, 11 by 17. Doesn't matter what they say. I say, wow, that's a fair size room. Now, how big's a fair size room? Well, it's a fair size. Got more chance. Well, of three by five, three by five might not be a, that might be a prison cell. That might be a budget problem. Like, right. uh, but, but we can be 11 by 17. We can be playful, right? They give me a number. I say, wow, that's a fair size room. I say, how are you going to let the furniture out in the room? They try to tell me I play dumb. I say, can you draw it for me? As we draw it out on a piece of paper, everybody on the planet other than architects creates me space in the diagram. Everybody. I say, while they're drawing that diagram, what do you do for store? What do you do for storage? They say, I've never got enough room for that. I say, well, what about like when you're entertaining? Where does everybody sit? They say, we're struggling for extra chairs bringing through from the other room. I'm building a very purposeful evidence case for the fact that a footstool is a yeah. good idea. Quickly, efficiently, and elegantly. Now what I'm in the position to be able to say is the sequence of words that I think every great sales professional should say. Because in my world is, I think that all the selling is, is earning the right to make a recommendation. That's it. So that means you should never, ever, ever invite anybody to buy anything unless you can say these words first. And the words are because of the fact that you said because of the fact that you said blank, well, for those reasons, I'd recommend blank, blank, and blank. Like it puts you in a strong position if you've done that work first. So we could say things like, because of the fact that you said that you want this to last a long time and it's going in your best room, plus you're often entertaining, for those reasons, we'd recommend you have your fabric professionally sealed at the factory. Because of the fact that you said that you struggle for extra seats and that you're often looking for extra storage, what most people do is they go for a footstool. If you're ever wondering where it sits, it sits underneath your feet. Now, how do so I then, yeah. 20 years past me writing it? So, so then you're up at the line. And this is where I feel like people feel they have two options. One is sort of the, um, the assumptive. So I'm going to, right? The assumptive. So I'm going to put it, because you said it, I'm going to put it in the agreement and let's get it all signed up. I'll send you over the contract and DocuSign. Let's get going. Or the scared pause, right? <laughs> Which is, so what do you think? Uh, do you have any other questions? Right. And so between these two bookends, yeah. where would you guide people uh, in this scenario? Because I see this a thousand times, right? The scared pause or the rapid assumption. And I think both of these are two versions of right here because i think they're both adequate plays providing done intelligently will explain the, the the dangerous space in the middle is in most industries more often than not if any form of consultative sales approach was required to get to the point prior to the close then the client was looking to be led because if they knew what they wanted they'd have bought it without speaking to you so in any form of consultative sales approach, the client was looking to lead, be led. Please don't let them down. And if you've given all of the information, you've delivered back towards their exact brief, they've nodded and smiled all the way through it. Take them to the dance floor and let them know what the next steps are. Move them through to action. And if you ever want a clarifying question to give you confidence, ask them a question that they can only answer, providing they're in agreement with everything you've said. 
So when it comes to implementation, is this something that we need to get up and running for you this side of the holidays, or are we looking at it in January? Is when it comes to actually being able to install this, are you the best person for me to work through, or would I be better working with somebody in your IT department? Like any one of those gateway questions, the second they answer it, they've agreed to everything else. Like, like that, that's what I need sometimes for certainty. Now, that would be my approach on leading the dance in a consultative sale environment. Yet sometimes what we've done is we've made a longer reaching pitch. And here's where it becomes that ta-da moment is what I call it. Like, they're like, ta-da. It's like, this is a hundred percent. And I think we're now we're really somewhere like people listening are going, I get all this stuff. This is, these are all super incremental improvements to the way I'm doing thing. I'm bought in on Phil. Uh, it, I think this moment of truth in which people are, they, they are always asking me, what are the exact words to say? And I'll have a different approach than you and I'll compare and contrast. Yeah, but, right or wrong. But, there's just better. No, there's no right or wrong for sure. And, and by the way, like you said, if I knew the answer, I would just give it to you. So I am right. <laughs> um, but I am very curious and I am intrigued and I do like where this is going. And you call it the Tada moment. Um, I do, you know, call it call to action, you know, or literally the close. But this is the point where all the hard work, all the energy, all the time getting the lead and, and doing all the work on their behalf can. It just feels like if you say the wrong thing, it can all just go away. And it's, 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 it's the definition of spilled milk. This is where you go crying over spilled milk and you think of all the smart things you could have said. And, and I do think, to, to your credit, this is the time where the words really matter. You cannot say the crux of the biscuit is the apostrophe. The, at the beginning, I, believe, I think at the beginning, the, the Tada moment, the, the words matter. So what are the words? I do a lot of work around simple swaps tiny subtle change that can make a profound difference for everybody listening in right now i'm guessing that at least twice in your career you've heard the sequence of words i just need some time to think about it i'm guessing that you've heard that at least twice i'm also guessing that there have been occasions where you've had your tada moment and then you've asked the question do you have any questions now here's the trouble is firstly the, I need some time to think about it, is highly probably your fault. You created that outcome. How do you do that is you stop finishing a presentation with the question, do you have any questions? Here's why. Because when you finish a presentation with the question, do you have any questions? What have you suggested they should have? Yeah. Uh, Stick with me on this. They yeah. should have questions, right? You've suggested they should have questions. Now, the trouble is if you've done your job right, you've given them all the information you need, your presentation was complete, then um, what they shouldn't have is questions. But you've suggested they should have questions. You've then delivered a great presentation resulting in them not having questions, but they feel like they should have questions, so they'd be confused. So they say things like, I need some time to think about it, because you inserted confusion. Instead, though, if you make a tiny little simple swap, you get to your Tadar moment and you say, so what questions do you have for me? What do now most people say back if you've delivered a compelling presentation that was complete? What they now say back is they say no questions or they give you a very specific question. Now, more often than not, they say no questions. If they say no questions, what does it mean? It means they've got all the information to make a decision, which also means they've made a decision. 
which means you don't have to ask for a decision because you both know that you've already made it, which means all you need to do is to lead the dance to what happens next. If you're looking for the words to dance somebody towards what happens next, I just gave them to you. It's the words what happens next is. If you're uncomfortable with that in any way, shape or form, say so the next steps are. And just lead it onwards from there. So the next steps are, I'm going to formalize this into agreement. I'm going to confirm this across to you. Boom. If you want to be able to get yourself your immediate answer back, ask an easy to answer question. When it comes to the DocuSign, is this going in your name or your company name? Like so, Phil, I have a challenge for you. I, I want to give you an idea and risk a couple sales or, you know, take some of your salespeople and, and try this. I'd love to see if this works for you in your system. But I feel like when we get to that moment and, you know, different sales, different industries, different challenges. But I feel like the, where I like to go is, whoa, bro, I'm out of time. And we have time constraint, right? This has been awesome. Uh, I've got to run to my next thing. Love you guys. If you're planning to become a dealmaker at this level, make sure to join the Daily Dealmaker. We get into one little piece of this daily. And so you're just stacking and stacking and stacking these tools and tactics and strategies until they come out of you as naturally as they come out of me and the people that I work with. Add the tips, tools, strategies, tactics a little bit every day. And by the end of a year, you'll be a totally different, new, improved person and a very strong deal maker. Hey, thanks for listening. And be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff. If you want to get daily insights and additional assets, go to orenclass.com slash daily and sign up for a seven-day trial of The Daily Dealmaker. See you next time.